at the time of year when Israel was to select their Passover lamb, there were crowds of people who came to Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover. You have to understand, this was a big event every year in Jerusalem. And it was an annual, important annual occasion, and there were lambs everywhere. Can you imagine all the families, because they brought their lamb to Jerusalem to be killed uh, on behalf of their family. There was a lamb per household, you know. And uh, the lamb they chose for each household could have no blemishes. It had to be the most flawless lamb that they could find. And as all of this is going on, that's the context, that's the backdrop, another storyline begins to unfold. Today we're celebrating that remarkable day. Matthew 21 verse 1 says this, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the context of God's, I, you, you, when you look at that and you say, a donkey? Are you kidding me? The king of the universe, the prince of heaven riding on a donkey? But you have to understand the context of God's greatest gift to mankind was carefully chosen. God set up this context. He set up this strategy. He set up what was appropriate. The king would not come in self-elevated pomp and splendor, demanding that the crowds bow to him. That's what the world does. That's not how this one would come. This one came riding on a donkey, a humble servant king who would demonstrate what it, would, what it looked like to take the lower place. This king came lowly riding on a donkey. The elevation that was getting ready to happen would be shocking spontaneous, and completely organic as it erupted by revelation of who this man was. This was the perfect, spotless lamb who would pay the penalty for the sins of mankind once for all. This is the one that John the Baptist pointed to when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This was the one. And on the day when the lamb, the sacrificial lamb was being identified and chosen, selected. This one came riding in the midst of all of that on a donkey. And spontaneously, without people understanding what was going on inside of them, they knew that they had to celebrate this one as he rode in. Not only would he pay the penalty for sin, but he would open wide the door to restored sonship for God's people. He opened up the door for all of us. And verse 6 says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded, and they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and sent, set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. 
Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitude who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Hosanna literally translated means save, O oh save. So they were identifying their Passover lamb and not even recognizing why they were being moved the way that they were, but they knew that they were. You know, sometimes when you're in the midst of a spontaneous worship, there's things that you're led into by the Spirit, and you don't even understand what all you're being led into, but you know that it's God. And such it was on this day. Shockwaves spread through the hierarchy of the priests and the Pharisees and the religious rulers. What was going on? What was this disruption in the middle of all of their religious preparations? And who was this who would dare to disrupt the important preparations for their holiest day? The nerve. Somebody to upset their carefully laid out preparations. How dare people elevate such a man to a role reserved for the Messiah? How dare they? And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And so the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. But there was another event that was getting ready to unfold. After Jesus had been received as the Passover lamb, he had a very important assignment that came next. It says, Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now let's remember where the temple of God is. Is it in Jerusalem? This is the temple. This is where God lives. So after he had been received as the Messiah, as he had been, after he'd been received as God's spotless lamb, his first assignment was to go to the temple. He has a mission to clean his house. This house is supposed to be a house of prayer, a house of worship, a place where God's presence and glory can dwell. Let's clean it out. Thieves have been occupying God's temple, and they need to be thrown out. Whatever has been occupying your temple, whatever has been occupying the place of worship, Whatever has been robbing God of his glory, of his worship, of his total adoration that is to be happening in his house, that is a thief and it needs to be thrown out. Amen? Religious rituals in this case had been counterfeiting true worship. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. After the temple was cleansed, it became a place of healing. A place where God could meet with the people that he loves and cares for. And his anointing can flow through a temple that has been cleansed. 
And I believe we're in a time right now where God's getting ready to cleanse his temple. And it's, that means us. It means the church. It means the body of Christ in America. It means the nation that was created to be a house to, to uh, uh, hold the presence of God, to be inhabited by the glory of God. Our nation was set up to be such a house. And Jesus is getting ready to come and cleanse his temple. And it begins in this place. It begins in the house of God. It begins in our lives individually. It begins in the corporate body of Christ. If we allow the Lord to cleanse the temple here, he will cleanse his temple corporately, and he'll begin to shake out the thieves and the money changers that have been plundering our nation as well. Amen? Amen? When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never heard? Have you never read? Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. God's getting ready to restore perfect praise to his church. Perfect praise, pure praise comes from pure hearts, not choreographed perfection. Our, the church in our culture, in our nation, has become so expert at choreographing worship, having everything done to perfection that they've lost the art of spontaneity in the house of God. And when you look at that journey of Jesus going to the temple, it was all about spontaneous worship. Our temple should always be a place of spontaneous worship. No matter where we are or what we're doing, whatever, however God touches your heart, whatever he reveals to you, whatever he ministers to you, spontaneous worship should only be a heartbeat away for every one of us. Don't wait to worship until you have a... Uh, a worship team or a choir or whatever perfectly choreographed that everything is done to perfection. If, if you wait on that to worship, uh, then your house is not going to be a house of worship. It's going to be something that's waiting on man's perfection rather than the spontaneous moving of the spirit on our heart uh, from a day-to-day -day basis. And we need to always be, be ready to worship every time all the way through the day. And, and if you don't know how to sing on key, make a joyful noise. The Lord gave you permission to make a joyful noise to the Lord, and imp implying that it's not always going to be perfect. But if it comes from a pure heart, and it comes from a pure life, and it comes from a sincere desire to worship the King of Kings, God's always looking for worship to come from you. And I tell you what, when, when, when life gets tough... And we get stretched and we come under pressure and, and, and there's all this, uh, we're, we're being pulled in all kinds of different directions and, our, and we start getting oppressed in our minds and we can't think straight, we can't plan strategically anymore. You know, sometimes you got to pull aside and spend some time in worship. Tell you what, worship clears my head. Worship declutters my brain. 
Worship brings me back to where I can be centered on the one that all of my wisdom and all of my alignment needs to flow from, and that is from him and not from my circumstance. And my circumstances can overwhelm me sometimes. Any of you struggle with those things, or am I the only one? Worship can overwhelm me sometimes. I mean, no, worship doesn't. My circumstances can overwhelm me sometimes, and then I need to come back to the heart of worship, and I need to spend some time worshiping the king and getting in his presence, because from his presence, everything flows that I need for my life. All the inspiration, all the creativity, all of the anointing, all of the animation of all the gifts that that he's put inside. Listen, every one of you, and I know this is maybe a little controversial in some circles, but I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to back it up. Every one of you are called to be a superhero. Every one of you. That doesn't mean that you're going to jump over tall buildings and stop a train like this. That, that's not what it means, or stop a bullet with your teeth. What it means is you've been called to make a significant difference in the sphere that God has given you influence in. And he has given every one of you a superpower to accomplish it. I'm just trying to contextualize it in a framework that we can relate to. And those superpowers are spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit wants to animate and bring alive in you. And that doesn't mean that I believe in putting unreasonable expectations on our kids that, that they're going to let us down if, we don't, if they don't go become president or some. Something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we should understand that every one of us are called to, to bring a significant influence to the world that we're a part of and to the realm where God has given us influence. doesn't mean that we need to be, uh, have monuments built to us or have our name in bright lights somewhere. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not my desire. And, and I have no desire to ever have that happen to me. I, 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 in fact, I would cringe if somebody told me that about me. I don't want to be elevated like that. But I do want my life to count. And I want every one of your lives to count. I want every one of you to be able to influence the world for good by the power of the Holy Spirit and to bring maximum influence to a world that is rapidly uh, trying to slide down a slippery slope right now. Amen? And every one of us can make a difference in the sphere that God has called us to bring influence to. Every one of you are called to be a super a superhero. Uh, I, I, I remember listening to a message that I believe was right on the money where it says, uh, David, the first superhero. And how this little teenage boy took on a giant that intimidated the king and the whole army of the nation. You know, I mean, only through uh, incredible faith can a teenage boy save a nation like that? But he did. Why? Because God anoints courage. God anoints faith. He does not, uh, he does not anoint um, cowardice and fear. In fact, if you'll read in the book of Revelation, it, the cowardly is the first ones on the list that go into the lake of fire. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But what I'm saying is, I've never seen anywhere in Scripture where the Lord anointed fear. He always anoints courage and faith. Amen. So, so be willing to step into places 
uh, where you have to face some fears and bust through that stuff. That doesn't mean you'll never feel afraid. It means you're not going to allow fear to rule over you. Okay, going back to the order of creation. When God gave man dominion over the planet, over all of his creation, that doesn't mean he gave you dominion over other people. It means he gave mankind dominion over the creation. He put it in our responsibility to take to steward the creation. He, he made us the masters of the creation when he gave us dominion. And anything in creation, when it is serving us, will bring a blessing to us. When we begin serving it, we come under a curse. It's just the way it is. As long as it's serving us, we will be blessed. When we start serving it, we will be cursed. Because we're stepping outside of our order and allowing ourselves to come under dominion. Anything in creation. Money is that way. As long as it's a servant to you, it'll be a blessing to you. When you start serving it, it'll be a curse to you. And anything else in creation is that way. When it begins to rule over you, you will lose your blessing. It's there to serve you because God gave you dominion. I know, some of us may not like that responsibility that comes with having dominion, but God gave it to us. And we need to represent the one who created us and who assigned us to have stewardship over his creation. Every one of us are called to do that. And again, that doesn't mean that you have lordship over other people. You have people who get a revelation of, of uh, having dominion that think that gives them the right to exercise dominion over other people, something that God himself doesn't do. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the Lord ever said, you will do this. And yet some people do that. You will do this. I, you know, I, I would... I'm not saying I never did it because I didn't know better, but I would never parent that way. I would never tell my kids, you will do this, because that's exercising control. And I don't see God ever doing that to man. He says, do this, and if you do, you will be blessed. And if you don't, then you will come under a curse. Because we get to choose as sovereign beings created in the image of likeness of God, we get to choose our own destiny. Does that make sense? And, and our kids should have the, same, the, the right to make choices and, and have the, the consequences of either being blessed or being, uh, experiencing the consequences of disobedience. Amen? I don't have time to go down that road any further today. But it's, it's a fact that Scripture gave man dominion. As long as the creation is serving us, it will be a blessing to us, no matter what it is. Spontaneity in worship is being restored to God's people as they are set free to worship in spirit and in truth. So today, we're going to go, we're going to go back into worship, then we're going to have communion. Um, but I want us to pray. And I want us to celebrate Jesus as our Passover lamb again. If any of you are doing it for the first time, thank you, Jesus. Today is a good day to do that. Let's invite him to cleanse his temple. How many of you want a clean temple for the Lord? You know, I was uh, 
I, I told you a little bit about our trip to Peru and how uh, the pain of arthritis left me when I got on the plane to come home, and I haven't had any of it since. I was talking to Dale the other day, and I was telling him about our trip, and he said, you know, I think there was more to, to that than what you realize. He said, what I'm hearing and what I'm sensing is that when you confronted witchcraft the way that you did, something, you, you took dominion over something that had attacked you. And when I, when I think back, that thing started hitting me after I, after I first started confronting witchcraft in South America is when I started getting hit with that arthritis in my joints. And because I confronted it, until it broke through on this trip, it lifted off of me as I came home. Sometimes you have to declare war on the things that the enemy is using to afflict you. Amen? It's time to, to ask the Lord to break uh, the, the oppression and to break anything uh, that has invaded our temples so that God can make it a house of prayer and worship where healing happens. You know why? Because he's there. I heard, I heard Jack Hayford say this years ago, and it really clicked with me. He said he would define holiness as wholeness. Wholeness. Scripture says, be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, if I asked 50 preachers their definition of holiness, they'd give me 50 different answers, Probably. Because it's hard to nail down complete what holiness. Holiness is, is the presence of the glory of God. But it's but it's we can't come into holiness if we don't come into wholeness. God is whole, He's complete, He's entire, He is everything that He was that He's intended to be. He says, I am who I am. Every one of us should have a passion to become whole. Because God dwells in wholeness. God's presence and his glory comes into wholeness. And that doesn't mean that you need to go through the rest of your life obsessed with your own self-improvement. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's self-focused stuff that, is, that can go to an unhealthy obsession with self. Okay? I, I believe that when you're focused on God's assignment for your life, he brings you into wholeness. He brings grace into your life for you to be healed, for you to be set free. Um, and so I better uh, leave that alone before I dig a hole for myself. If you have a desire to have a temple that is clean and holy and filled with his presence, I want you to stand and I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. Jesus, today we celebrate who you are. We're so grateful, Father God, that you sent the greatest gift that mankind has ever received when you sent your son. And we honor him, we honor you, Jesus, as the perfect, spotless lamb of God sent to pay the price for the sins of the whole world and to restore us all back as sons and daughters of God Almighty. 
Jesus, we celebrate you and we invite you to come and cleanse your temple today, today and ongoing. We invite you to come and anything that's robbed you of your glory, that's robbed you of complete and pure worship in any one of us. Anything that we have bowed down to that's gained dominion over us, we declare it to be a thief. It's robbed space that belongs to you in our temple. Anything in our life that's robbed you of the time that we need to be giving to you, that's robbed you of the focus that we should be having on you, that's hijacked our hunger and made us more hungry for other things than for you. Anything that's robbed us of pure worship and gotten us entrenched in rituals and routines and dead works, we declare all of those things to be thieves today and we ask that you would come and you would turn over those temples and that you would set your people free. Jesus, we receive you as our Lord as our Savior, as our Master. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would administrate everything that Jesus came to accomplish in our life and that you would fill this temple with the glory of the Lord, that you would bring your people into a season of so much freedom, so much worship, so much healing. We ask that you would make the people of God the most contagious force on the planet. That we would become more contagious than any pandemic, than any virus, than anything that has put the people of our planet into fear and panic. That we would become the most contagious force on the planet. That the kingdom of God, as it's being birthed in us, would become an unstoppable force. That spontaneous worship, spontaneous healing, divine appointments would surround us every day. That every realm of culture that you have assigned us to, that our job takes us into, that our neighborhood takes us into, would begin to be so filled with the presence of the glory of the Lord that the words of the Lord would be fulfilled when he said to Moses, As truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. We ask, Lord, that every one of us would, would be a carrier of that glory, that we would be the priests of your covenant, that we would carry the ark of your glory, of your presence everywhere that we go. And because of that, there's not never a battle that we would lose because we are only engaging in those that you assign us to, that you lead us into, and that the armies of the enemy would tremble and fall before the army of the Lord. From this day onward, we celebrate you, Jesus, as the one that we serve, the one that we follow, the one who assigns us to the battles that we are to engage in. And we ask, Lord, that anything that we are to leave behind, that you'd begin to touch it with your hand and that you begin to show us this is something you need to let go of because I can't occupy that. I'm moving you into a new space. And, Father, I ask that this would be a time, this would be a time that your army would begin to, uh, to be aligned, to come into 
rank and file, and would be ready to begin to march on the armies of the enemy. We're not only are we going to stand, not only are we going to stand, but we're going to invade the gates of hell. We thank you that the gates of hell cannot prevail against your church because the onslaught of your church is going to rescue those who have been captured by hell and to set those prisoners free in, in, in fulfillment of the word of God. We thank you for that, Jesus. And we're making ourselves available to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would anoint this army for war and that this would be a time that we begin to rise to the occasion that we would never bow down to fear again, that we would never bow down to intimidation by the enemy again, but that we would be able to stand in courage and in faith and march forth, motivated by love, but with courage and faith, crossing over into a new place. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We give you the glory for it. And now, Lord, as we begin to prepare to receive communion, we thank you for the broken body and for the shed blood of Jesus. We bless the bread. We ask, Lord, as we receive this bread, that you would inhabit it, that your healing power and your unifying power would touch every one of us so that we recognize we're part of the body of Christ. These broken pieces of your body are coming together and making one entire body. We lift up the hurting body in the Middle East, in Ukraine, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, every place where your body is being persecuted. We identify with them. We say we are one with them. We ask, Father, the same courage and faith that you're pouring out on us would be poured into them in greater measure and that they would never bow in fear, that they would stand in courage and faith and that there would be an eruption of faith that happens in the, in the persecuted church so that they would become the missionaries that are sent out in great, uh, great anointing with great vision and great power in Jesus' name. Thank you for that, Lord. <sighs> Father, I ask that you help every one of us get our focus beyond ourselves that you'd realize we're not just here to improve our own situation in life. We're here to respond to our kingdom assignment, and we're all here to be sent, wherever that is, into, even if it's just in our own neighborhood. We are here to be sent by you, not to just focus on ourselves. Thank you for the, the, the new wine of the covenant, Jesus. We thank you that as we drink of this cup, that every lesser covenant has to submit to this one. That everything that's bound us, everything that's had a legal assignment against us is being canceled through the greater power of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus' blood. We thank you that assignments are being canceled, even generational assignments that we bought into are being canceled we ask today for forgiveness for any of our ancestors who entered into agreements with the enemy, with darkness, that have compromised our ability to serve you. We ask for forgiveness for those things, and today we apply the blood of Jesus to those, those things to cancel them out and to tie us into a new covenant, a greater covenant. This is the new covenant in your blood. We thank you for it, and we receive all of this in remembrance of you, Jesus.